This is our special podcast to celebrate uh, Burns Night, and we are going to celebrate everything Scottish. Um, I have two Scottish icons. I'm calling them icons. <laughs> if you know them, you'll agree. Um, but it's uh, Sean Club has a very strong Scottish link. Obviously, we our last podcast was all about Sir John Moore, great Scottish hero, an amazing man, one of my true heroes, but also. The 95th, when they came to Shorncliffe, the men who changed the British Army and changed and brought humanity to the British Army 200 years ago, and were seen as quite liberal, were Scotsmen. They also have a reputation as being phenomenal fighters. And understanding that linked history, we've got a lot of Scotsmen who are buried at Shorncliffe as well. So we want to talk about Scotland. We want to talk about their military past, their military reputation. We also have two fantastic people on, Tony Pollard, an academic from Glasgow. Hello, lovely to be here. And we have the man who I like to dub as the next King of Scotland, His Royal <laughs> Highness, King Charles of Allen, of Duncarran, with beard, um, who, is, uh, who runs a fantastic uh, heritage, uh, community heritage project at Duncarran. He's also uh, Lee Piper with uh, Saw Patrol, and um, you might have seen him lobbing heads at Russell Crowe, uh, fighting on the beaches. He gets killed in every film. Evening, Charlie. Pleased to be here. Hope I can uh, contribute. I mean, I've kind of done a lot of different things um, towards contributing to Scottish culture and heritage. But, um, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Hope I can, uh, hope I can have a laugh. Well, first of all, Tony, come, come to you and talk about sort of Scottish heritage. First of all, obviously, we at Shawcliffe are uh, fighting to save uh, an international heritage site. It's, it's linked to Scotland through so many ways and through so many Scotsmen who've been there. Do you, are you finding at the moment that heritage in Scotland is suffering? Are you finding that, you know, what's, what's going on north of the border? Well, speaking personally, um, my, my entire programme for outside of the classroom, all of the fieldwork, all of the the projects that were planned, um, none of those have happened. Uh, so last summer was uh, a non-starter. We were we were supposed to be at Waterloo. We were going to restart a project at Culloden. Um, obviously, very relevant if we're talking about uh, the Scottish martial tradition. That didn't happen with the National Trust for Scotland and Glasgow University because of the the crisis. And we're now looking to this coming summer and wondering whether those things will be rescheduled because obviously uh, things change so quickly um, and yet not quickly at all. So I might be sat here next autumn having done nothing again. I hope not. I hope not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Charlie at, at Duncaran, which is... Well, actually, Charlie, you tell us about Duncaran. That's the easiest way. Tell us a story about that because it, it mimics what we're trying to do at Shorncliffe. I mean, we, we cover a lot of different eras. Um, we, you know, we go a few hundred years in either direction. Primarily, it's an educational facility in the guise of a, a replica of an early medieval chief's residence in Scotland, uh, to the best of our knowledge. Um, all, all the frames are held together with oak pegs. Um, we, we've tried to use very little as possible modern fixings, but you know, due to 21st century building control, there's a lot we have to do. You know, but we're doing our best, and it's something that the bare bones are there as an educational facility, 
we can improve as we learn and go go forward. I mean, when's the last time a medieval fort was built in Scotland? So yeah. we're kind of learning as we go. Uh, none of us had any skills um, and certainly not that great amount of historic knowledge. And we relied on um, guys within the trust. When it comes down to putting on events, we, we try and keep it fun. Because we have an event space, it's not, you don't go there and strictly see an early medieval castle. You can go there and bump into pirates. You can go there and bump into Jacobites and Redcoats, like a stockade style thing. Um, you know, it can be dressed up to look and similar to what a Roman fortress would have looked like, possibly at, at that time. So we, we, we cover all the, the visitors and invaders of Scotland and try and um, enhance the interest in our Scottish culture and heritage. And again, you know, lately we've been attracting a lot of uh, reenactors who have brought a lot of, um, you know, great tuition to the table. Um, you know, guiding us and, and keeping us right. And, you know, if something's not right, they'll tell us, um, which I love. I love people being directed forward. I hate people beating around the bush when it comes to this kind of thing, you know. So basically what we've done is we've spent the last 10, 25 years building the bare bones of something that can flourish and grow and is something massive for all to enjoy. Um, Reenactors, other group users, even LARPers, you know, we've had even LARPers yeah. interested in the site. Uh, just recently, um, just recently, we came up with an idea with, with Professor Tony Pollard, um, more in his field, uh, and it'll be probably based around uh, a similar project that he ran in Paul Park on uh, on the trenches, First World War trenches, if I'm if I'm right. And although that's got nothing to do with medieval history, it's still part of our Scottish culture and heritage. Yeah, and we want to try and cover a little corner of, of the site to build these trenches. And I guess much like what you're trying to do um, with your trench systems uh, where they did their training. Yeah, so in a nutshell, that's kind of really a quick summary of, of what Duncan's all about. Obviously, I visited last year. I was, I was kind, you were kind enough to invite me out for a very, very special event, which was a just a, a, amazing. And the site is fantastic. If, if you, not if you're going to Scotland, go to Scotland. Scotland's a fantastic place. Go and visit Duncan as one of the places. It should be, it, it surely should be on the tourist map, you know, bigger, because it, it is absolutely, it's got, the location is fantastic. The people I met there were fantastic. I loved it because you could, little moments you could just sit inside and it just has that immersive feel to it. That's what we're planning for Shawncliffe. I'm going to say, Chris, that's, that's exactly what we we want yeah. to do for Shawncliffe. It's the it's the, it's the mm. it, it is exactly the, the the same thing. And what we've discussed on many occasions is how we're going to do it and how we're going to put it together. Well, Tony, I'm going to say we've got we've got original trenches at Shawncliffe. So at Shawncliffe, we've got Sir John Moore's redoubt still there. You've got First World War trenches that Canadians. We've got lots of photographs, mm. as well as they they created a mine. A big hole and they show people how to revet that and how to protect that and use it happy to send pictures of of what they did there because they the back side of shawncliffe they created the first world war battlefield which is that's phenomenal stuff i to my to my shame I've, I've not managed to make it down yet and i i really must and it's one of those things that during the the kind of the constraints we have at the moment every, the yeah. first thing you want to do is get out there and see something but shawncliffe Shawncliffe is definitely on the list. And I, I think these sites that allow public engagement, be it 
the original, as with Sean Cliff, or recreations, as with Don Caron. And I met Charlie for the first time about 20 years ago, and he was standing behind basically a matchstick model of this medieval stockaded castle. And he said, we're going to build this. And, uh, and it, it, seemed, it seemed rather insane, but he went and did it. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm among those who provided support when we can, but you know, Charlie's vision and ambition and those, those, those of his clan um, had, have been, has been phenomenal. And as, as you said, this, this is a site which is, is now one of the top movie locations in Scotland. If you're looking for anything from, I think, I think the last time I saw it, Charlie, was in that latest uh, Robert the Bruce movie. Was that, was that Duncaran, the stockade bit? That's right, yeah. Yeah, and, and he's, and he's was, done yeah. it. It was, it was. But those, those trenches that yeah. we, we built, that, that was kind of our version of Duncaran. And that, that, was my, that was myself and a colleague, Olivia Lalonde, um, wanted to do something for the centenary of the First World War, but we wanted it to be public facing and public engaging. And so we came up with this scheme of recreating a section of the Western Front. And it seemed, again, insane at the time, but Glasgow City Council gave us a, a fairly sizable corner of Pollock Park in Glasgow. And we, based on the, the evidence that we pulled out of, uh, 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 uncovered in excavations, archeological excavations that we'd done over the years, plus the manuals, we built full scale German and British trenches with, with you know, one-to-one -one scale no man's land with, with shell holes in between. And we, for four years, we ran events at weekends with reenactors. We had uh, an education officer. We had school parties there every week. And by the time we closed it uh, last year, and it was, we were sorry to see it go, it's now archaeology itself. It's all been backfilled. The timber was recycled. We'd had 12,000 people through it. And it's phenomenal. And, and Charlie's looked at that and gone, yeah, that was a good thing. We could do that at Duncaran. So I'm, I'm delighted that there might be um, a child of the trench at Duncaran because it, people really, it gave people a unique insight. Our, our inspiration really was that the government gave money for school kids to go over to the Western Front during the centenary. But that ran out fairly quickly. And for, for kids to go on a school excursion, to the Western Front, to France or Belgium, it was about three or 300 quid. Not every school kid in Glasgow could afford that. So our, our, our mission was, if they can't afford to go and visit a trench in the Western Front, we'll build one in Glasgow and then come to that. And I'm really proud of that, what we did there. And that, I, I think that's kind of the ethos that you're looking at as well, isn't it? Absolutely. This is exactly, the, the difference yeah. is obviously it's getting council support and county support what is totally and what they don't seem to get is that we have the original trenches yeah so if some if, you know they're still there and there's british and there's german and there's pillboxes and there's martello tower and there's a spigot mortar and there's bren guns bren gonna gun make me trenches. cry in a minute i need a drink that's that's all far too much good stuff you know <laughs> so it's it, plus you've got a cemetery with three vcs over 600 men in it from around the world and and it was home to canada it was home to the our great allies the germans they've been our allies for years mm -hmm. they had the swiss yeah. there had pow's it you know had heroes from rourke's drift from waterloo um monty had his trench warfare school there in the 20s amazing place but 
Charlie, I've, you've managed to get a lot of support up there. How did you do it, but apart from threatening people? Tony had a fantastic project, and, and I think there's three of us on this podcast that have all got the same spirit to, to be able to achieve something like that. It never surprised me one little bit when I first started, and, and as, as in, it's quite nice to hear Tony tell me it looked insane because that was, that a lot of people echoed that, but not, yeah. not in a, a derogatory way. It was just like, as Tony was, it's, it's like, dude, that's a big bit you're biting off there, you know? Um, but there was an element of people that said, ah, oh, you'll never do it. I never ever bothered for a second listening to any of that. Um, I just went ahead and done it, and I found a way to do it. And we're quite unique in the way that we have a lot of people involved, and I saw a niche in the market. I saw a niche in the market in film and television because from the very get-go, the lottery fund knocked us back, said it wasn't something that, you know, the public would be interested in. I've had events knocked back because it's something that, you know, the public would be interested in. Yeah, everything that I've been told, and it's raised cash for the project. And yeah. working in film and television, working in film and television, everybody had an agreement that they were, they were working to raise funds for Duncaran. And for the last 25 years, many a man and woman have put in time at events, um, social gatherings, um, corporate entertainment, uh, film and television work, anything where we, our services were required, a gala day even, you know, putting on weapons demonstrations and bringing out costumes. We did everything you could possibly think of at one point um, to get Duncaran built because everybody contributed either all their wages all the, all the money we raised, they said, no, nope, it all goes in the pot. Or they would contribute enough and keep enough to cover their expenses and their travel expenses and their food and stuff. So it's been, it's been like that for years now. And we, we must have raised in excess of $2 million now since we started. Um, and you would, think that, you would think that by now we've proven ourselves and that some entity, whether it be lottery or government, would see fit to fund us. We've had a lot of people up giving us lip service and basically leaving us with door knocking um, exercises every time. We've never actually had anybody, one person putting their hand in their pocket and going, well done guys, here's your reward for all the hard work you've put in for the last 25 years, Jesus. giving up your cash that we could quite easily have all put in our own pockets, but we didn't, you know? We, we, we all share the same, we all share the same goal. I mean, this is this is the thing. We, I mean, Steve, Steve's uh, our uh, our head of education. I mean, the stuff we've done with cadets, because um, obviously we had a lot over for Vimy One Hundred, a lot of Canadians over, which was absolutely fantastic. It, it's always been completely um, inspiring, especially getting the feedback from them. Has always been amazing, absolutely amazing. I, th I think also for what. Um what Charlie was saying, I take heart from that because there's so many similarities that we've experienced um, from, from where we are at the moment and what he's been doing and continues to do and what we're trying to do as well. There's a lot of similarities, a hell of a lot of similarities. And I take heart from that because sometimes can, you get very, very down about it. Yeah, I can see a workshop developing and we could do it via Zoom. We could do it right <laughs> here because... 
because there are and 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 Charlie was talking there about his uh, about the uh, unwillingness of the National Lottery uh, Fund to get to give uh, money to to Duncaran, but they did to us, and you know I can't thank them enough for that. But I think Charlie's trailblazing and his crew and Duncaran really set the precedent and it might be that people have looked at that and gone yes this sort of initiative does work it does engage the public people are yeah. interested they will come and so i i think charlie and and team need to take credit for that because they they were out there in the wilderness when this this did seem like a a crazy plan and I, I, I can't stress how how that came across it was just here's a model lovely little model we're going to build this and it was kind of uh, well, you've already built. It. No, we're going to build it. We're we're going to get land and we're going to build this full scale, and we're going to use it as as a as a movie set, as an educational facility, and it's it's done all of those things and more. And to see it grow over the years has been phenomenal. But this is this is very much what what we want to do at Shawncliffe. Obviously, we've got the natural amphitheatre. We've got an original Napoleonic Redoubt, but it's a natural amphitheatre, and mm -hmm. the president is that the 95th, when they were there, used to put on plays and events and music. And we want to bring them back and have an open air theater. Plus you've got 40 acres of heritage land, which is just chock-a-block. Plus you then have the international graveyard, which is still active. When you've got, let's say, Canadians, South Africans, Chinese, American, Irish, Portuguese, that's really, really important to us um, to, to, to look at it. And, and I've got to say, I mean, Duncaran, Charlie knows this because obviously we've done work together um, and he knows that it, it's a model for us. You're ahead of us. It is solving the problem. Obviously, Taylor Wimpy owned the land. It's getting the locals to believe in people. You know, but also, Chris, it's about getting the people that actually are local to realise what's on their doorstep. Yeah. And the times we've done events where they don't actually know what's there it's not Steve. unusual we we had some resistance to the uh, the thing that we we built in uh, pollock park there was actually in the early days when when we'd, we'd got the go-ahead and it it was feasible and the national uh, national lottery had given us as money and then the military covenant gave us funds as well but there was a there was a, a local group that set up a petition against it because Jesus. they were complaining that we were glorifying war and, and, and it was distasteful. And we're going, no, this is exactly not what we're doing. And that, it, it became obviously a, a, a hole in the PR that was requ required to be filled there. But it didn't take long for that attitude to totally change and those voices to become voices in the wilderness. And people saw what we were doing. We, we weren't trying to recreate a battlefield from the First World War. We were trying to provide a, a, a place where various lessons about that experience could be learned the last thing we re we, we did one or two things that strayed into it but the last thing we really wanted to do were battle reenactments that yeah. was totally unnecessary it was about the experience of those men in that limited environment where when you look up all you can see is a strip of sky and if you yeah, see yeah. any more than that chances are you're going to lose your head yeah absolutely well, this is it we were very lucky that you know i knew <laughs> nothing about first world war and my my obviously my passion is opponent history but we went, I, got, I had a family holiday in Arras and I met the guy who ran the, um, the Wellington Quarry uh, in Arras. And he said something, and this is relevant to you guys, but it was a light bulb moment for us, which was 
Chris, you're so lucky, he said to me. We in France and Belgium, we only have them when they're dead. You at Shawncliffe, you had them when they're alive. And that was a light bulb moment. We're not going to tell about battlefields because it was never a battlefield. We're going to talk about them training, laughing, a lot of laughter at Shawncliffe, a lot of mucking around, blokes mucking around, yeah. um, going, they, they all write letters about going down the beach, having an ice cream, going to town, meeting local girls, young men being young men. And obviously there was, there was uh, hostels down there, women down there. And, and so that's what we talk about, about them as live people and engage. That's how we engage. We're not on the battlefield of Waterloo, as you know so well, Tony, what's that like? And Charlie, you know, it's not like at Culloden where you can almost feel the ghosts around. I mean, that's really quite something. I'm just going to tell Charlie about his unique fundraising. Uh, a, a quick snapshot. And Steve, I'm sure Steve was there. I remember I met His Royal Highness, the Charles of Allen, in a field in the Midlands when his band was playing a song called Mental Scottish Bastards. And I thought, one, it was an incredibly amazing night. I thought, secondly, was like, who the hell are these guys? And they totally rock. And that's how we sort of met and got chatting and so on. Charlie, tell us about Soul Patrol. When's the next album coming out? How are the boys? Obviously, you're not touring. Um, I know there's a lot of fans who are going to be listening to this, but what a what a crazy <laughs> idea for fundraising! I have no ta- I have no yeah. musical ability, so me and Steve are out on that one. Everything we've done's been a, it's been about fundraising. I mean, you know, quickly touching back on what we we're discussing doing the film and television that was fundraising. You know, how crazy can you be to set up a, a combat team? You know, that will go into film sets and, and give producers something that they can't get anywhere else. Um, you know, we get people like Ridley Scott requesting our presence on film sets now. And we're, we're a lot of years in now, you know. But the band was just supposed to be another form of raising funds for Duncaran. Initially, it was about, you know, we do the, the, the social side of it. We've got the costume, we've got the combat, but we've got no music. So I went away and bought a set of bagpipes and took them down to the set of Gladiator with me. So that you know, I could try and learn a few tunes when I was down there. Um, did everybody's head in in the hotel <laughs> <laughs> in the process of learning, and that was over twenty years ago. But you know, the, it turned into a, it grew arms and legs, and the music became sought after. So we started writing our own music rather than uh, doing renditions of traditional Victorian Scottish pipe music. We started writing our own. Um, we got more and more drums. We had like 12 drums, um, a battery of 12 drums with three drummers. Uh, and later on, we introduced guitar, which was much, much later, but it took off. And that became my form of income because I, I don't get paid by the trust. So um, I was never on a salary for the trust. It's my, my service has been 25 years voluntary. I should be, I should be getting land and, and, well, I've already got a wife, so I don't need one. But, <laughs> you know, could do a couple of ponies. But, you know, it's, it's been fun and we've met a lot of people and the band itself is, you know, all about promoting Duncaran. And that was the whole purpose of it. And every show we do, every song's got a bit of background to it. Every song was written from the heart. You know, every tune was written from the heart. 
every every show we do, we promote Don Carlin to the max. Making merchandise, arts and crafts, people selling things, you know, generating funds and interest, and just people generally throw, throwing money in our coffers to help us because they knew that everything we did was off our own backs with no, you know, no help. So, but yeah, Shop Troll, we haven't played a gig, I haven't touched the bagpipes actually very much. Shock horror. Um, but I haven't, you know, I just haven't had it in me. Just lockdowns wiped everybody out. It wiped, as you know, as Tony was saying, we were the same. We had like um, a dozen, a dozen or 15 festivals all lined up. And we managed to squeeze two out, which was probably two more festivals than most people. We did the Jacobites and Redcoats and we did the Saxons and Vikings and they were massively successful. Just, and, and, and in a way, I feel a lack of funding and support is, was one big hinder, but it just made me all the more determined to find ways to raise the cash. So, you know, my, um, I don't know, my imaginative mind, my, my determination, my, my will to succeed and not let all the people down that I said, I'm going to do this. And they backed me. And the, the minute people start backing you up, you've got to follow it through because then yeah, they've wasted yeah. their faith in you. However many years it could be, I, I never knew it was going to take 25 years to, to have a grand opening. You know, I yeah. thought, but then again, if we'd been funded and the money had been thrown at us, we would never have met all these wonderful people that we've met. And, but we, and, you know, and we've met some right bad ones as well, but that all yeah. goes hand Haven't in hand. Haven't we all? Haven't it's always we bad all. experience, you know, but it, it, it never... You know, it, it, most people would have fallen on their backside. Uh, 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 half of it, never mind everything that we've had to go through. But I feel that guys like us, it's just we have a duty to fulfil what we said we were going to do. You know, do what this, do what we said we were going to do, and that's the thing that's driven me forward. I mean, this is a, this yeah. is absolutely great. And Steve, it all came about when I found Sean Cliff. Um, because as a 95th reenactor, I wanted to find out where we were born, which was at this place called Shawcliffe that at the time on the internet didn't exist. And when I found this map in eBay, which showed where it was, and then next day I went down to find it, it was that moment of, do I do something or do I just take a photograph and walk away like most reenactors would do? I thought if I have to wear, if I'm going to wear the green jacket, I'm going to have to earn it. But over years, when we and we meet them all the time, don't we, Steve? People who've got relatives yeah, buried there. There's people who are against us who, who are, are for certain reasons. I have six six hundred reasons to fight, and they're all buried in Shawncliffe. And I can't let those boys and girls down. I can't let their families down. Someone has to fight for them and tell their stories. And I know Tony, you're you're heavily involved yeah. with archaeology. You do an amazing project, which is Waterloo Uncovered. I mean, if that falls exactly into that, but that ha also has a fantastic story about how it's helping veterans today. And we love working with veterans. Yeah, well, Waterloo Uncovered goes back to 2015. I was first called down for a meeting at the Guards Barracks in London um, in would be summer of 2014. So the, the anniversary of the, the 200th anniversary of Waterloo was approaching. And I had a meeting with uh, two guys, uh, one Mark Evans, who had been in the Coldstream Guards, seen heavy action in Afghanistan and had come out with pretty bad PTSD and got himself together. And, uh, and Charlie Fournette, who was uh, still in the Coldstream Guards. And they'd gone to university together at UCL and both, believe it or not, studied archaeology. Both ended up going to Sandhurst and joining the forces. 
And they, they, given their mutual past and their, their current situations, they thought it would be great to take guys out, i.e., you know, their, their, their comrades out and do some sort of archaeology. And then Waterloo was, an, the Coldstream Guards have a very strong connection. All the guards, mm -hmm. the, the, the three foot guards regiments obviously do, battalions obviously do have a, a strong connection to Waterloo. And so they, the, the 200th approaching, it, that was a no brainer. And then they thought, well, if we could do archaeology and uh, we need somebody that can kind of deal with that. And obviously by then I'd, I'd built a reputation as a, as a conflict and battlefield archaeology. So they, they got on the blower to me. I, I went down and they said, right, how do you fancy putting together a, a project uh, um, and directing archaeologists in the field to, to investigate Waterloo? But with veterans and these are guys that have suffered suffered physical injury or mental trauma or, 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 or PTSD among them and that was an that was absolutely for me and it was a it was something I could not resist because by that time I was already engaging with veterans from the Falklands War and that's that's another project there's another story entirely there fingers crossed we'll stop be starting a project in the Falkland Islands this year again mm. um, COVID dependent so we, we put together a team and people, the, the best in the business, as far as archaeology and the, the technologies involved, the concern, fell over themselves to get involved. We put together a team. We first went out there with a small team just to see whether it'd be worthwhile in um, Easter of 2015, obviously the, the big year. And we got the, we became partners with the uh, Wallonian Heritage. Um, so there was nothing we could do there without official government permission yeah. from the Wallonian state, which we got. And, um, you know, we, we've, we've worked together ever since. And the last time we were there, as I said, we couldn't go out there last year. But in 2019, when we were out there for our, our then annual two weeks in the field, I think we had a team of about 130 people and about oh, yeah. 60 of those were veterans. And it's the... Um, I constantly come back to the point that it's it's the best project I've ever been involved with. It's absolutely just the ultimate in in reward as far as bringing my skills, my knowledge, collaborating with others in my field. And we've got, as you know, we've got reenactors involved. We've got historians. Mm -hmm. My students come out. We've got professional archaeologists. Some of it's surreal. There was there was one day I was outside the south gate at Ugamon and I was probably scratching my head over a trench that wasn't working out or something. And Charlie Fournette was in in Kent, um, and he said he said I'm I'm in a classroom and I'm giving a talk to a bunch of school kids about Waterloo. And I said, well, obviously as you know, I'm here. And he went, would you say a few words to them? I'll put you on speakerphone. And I said, <laughs> I said, hang on, Charlie. Um, somebody came out the gate. I said, how would they like a few words from the Duke of Wellington? No. And the current Duke of Wellington came out of the gate. And I said, I, I said, your grace, would you say a few words to these guys? He said, very sure, Tony. Yeah. And, 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 and Charlie, I could hear Charlie's jaw hit the classroom floor back in Kent as, as the Duke of Wellington held forth about, about Waterloo. But that's, that's that project all the way through. And it's, it's, it's exactly what Charlie was talking about. You start, with a, the germ of an idea, and if it works, it works. It, it, if it doesn't work, it just falls away. But if it works, in my experience, it just grows into the most beautiful thing. And, you know, Duncaran's one, um, Waterloo Uncovered is undoubtedly another. 
But did you two work at Culloden? Did you work at Bannockburn, yeah. Charlie and Tony? We've we've done a lot of stuff together. I mean, we we've we've done the one thing that we did do, which was amazing. Well, it's it's one of one of the many things we've done. But the, the thing that sticks in my mind was um, for the new vi- we did the, my team did the archaeology at, at Culloden that informed the National Trust for Scotland revamping of the battlefield. And for once, they were able to tell a proper story, you know, have, have things like the, the interpretation boards actually in the right place on the battlefield. And they built a new visitor centre and it was opened in 2007, 2008. I actually had lunch with the Queen. That was surreal, having a member of the royal family at, at Culloden, the Hanoverian royal family at Culloden, so to speak. But um, <laughs> they, as part of that, um, I was on the I was on the um, academic panel for the visitor center with the designers, and I'm really proud of what they did there. It's it's old school and it's new school, but it's also got the artifacts from the battlefield. And they they wanted to to have this experience immersion room where they would recreate on film the battle and project it on four walls. So you stand in the middle of the room on one wall. You've got the Jacobites appear on the other wall, the, the government army, the British army appears in their red coats. And then the, the other two walls have got have got wraparounds. And then the Jacobites charge and they're 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 having cannon shot, and it's got this this 3D sound. So a cannonball will fire from one wall, go over your head as a member of the audience, and 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 hit the hit the Jacobites on the other side. And Charlie, Charlie was responsible for all of the stunt work and, and we had, what was it, 200 reenactors on this moor in, in January or February in the Scottish borders. Yeah. And it was minus seven at one point. Guys were going to hospital with hypothermia. I was, I was asked by the director, I said, he said, do you want to be involved in this? And I said, it's the only chance I'll ever get to be in a war movie. And Charlie was there and I've, I've got this book out that I edited, which is basically the archaeology, and um, it's out there, people, pen and sword, the archaeology and history and archaeology of, of Culloden. And the photograph on the cover is this amazing picture of the Jacobite army charging, and people go, how did they get that? One of the, one of the stills photographers took this picture, and it's me and Charlie side by side at the front of this Jacobite army with swords raised. It's a phenomenal image. <laughs> and I, I just remember that so well. And, and we had a good time at night. And, um, but you go there now, I've seen people go into that room, stand there for the 15 minutes that this experience takes. And it ends up with, you know, the Jacobites lying dead on the ground. Uh, me as a red coat, I'm actually a, a Jacobite and a red coat in it. Scratching on my knees, scratching <coughs> my chin thoughtfully as this red coat amongst this heap of dead Jacobites. I've seen people come out of that in tears. Yeah. It really is the most striking thing. 2008, all these years later, it still stands up. It's still as fresh as the day it would, that place was opened. Do you know what? I think <laughs> what it comes across is, um, is what I say, I've said to you, Chris, on many occasions, uh, what Tony said and what uh, Charlie said and what you're saying yourself is once again, it's reiterating what damn good fun we have doing this. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's also there's a serious message underlying it, as, as we know, the, the heritage and telling the story or the history correctly is uh, extremely important, but we do not have a good laugh. We, we do. We do. I mean, it is also incredibly rewarding. Yeah. I, Charlie, I mean, it, it was, I'm so pleased having been to Duncan because it, it allowed me to see the possibilities of what we can create and what we plan to create at Shawncliffe. Yeah. And obviously I know 
Tony talking about, and, and I know Tony's project, and I know the benefits of what we can do. And it's not just, oh, it's a place where everything's a place that guys dress up and have enjoy themselves, but it's a place for veterans to go or children to go or families to go and get out what they need, get from it, a good space, educational escapism it, there's nothing yeah, you know wrong you know that. what guys i'm, I'm gonna i'm just gonna pitch this here because it would really work is a collaboration between sean cliff duncaran and waterloo uncovered we had we brought the we brought the the waterloo uncovered we brought a group of them up to the trenches and we had a weekend of events we had lectures yeah. we had we had living history and it worked they loved it and as you say bringing veterans to Sean Cliff, given the connections with Waterloo. Um, I know the guys there would be really into this and Duncaran as well. There's, as soon as we get out of this, this thing we're in, yeah. um, it would be a great opportunity to bring together three really worthwhile, really, really very, very, uh, I think, important projects. And I think that veteran cohort for us is obviously key and, and, and can be and will be for you guys. So, yeah. you know, there's, 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 we can we we can we can talk about how best to do these things, but I think I think that collaboration and network with with we, exchanges and visits. We would love to. We would love to. The, the the other thing is one oh, of yeah. our members, uh, um, who's our treasurer, Vince Law. His great 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 grandfather was a ninety fifth rifleman. He went up the Karana Trail with Moore. He fought at Karana. He came back to Shawncliffe. He was in no fit state for active service, but he ended up training the 2nd and 3rd Battalion soldiers. In desperation, 1815, he went out to Waterloo and fought on the battlefield of Waterloo next to La Haison, uh, next to Hougamont, and was wounded in the arm, lost his arm. And it was his wife who dragged him off the battlefield. She was there. Those connections, again... No, it, 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 we, we do get every now and again, we get somebody uh, either on the team or visiting who does have that direct connection. And, and it, makes, it makes things, it brings, it, it, it just closes that bridge between the past and the present in a way that nothing else does. But that's what I think about, I, I've always said that archaeology is the closest thing we've got to a time machine. Mm. And when we're, when we're metal detecting and, and coming up with musket balls and cannon shot or whatever on the battlefield, you really do feel that physical connection. I'll, I'll tell you, a, I'll tell you a, um, a story from 2019, and it, it, I think it's connected to the 95th. Um, we were working at um, uh, Mont Saint-Jean, which was the main field hospital for the Allies on the field, um, around 400 meters behind the, the, the main line, uh, the, the top of the crest. And we were, we were thanks, thanks to the owner um, who brews uh, Waterloo beer, which was superb. Mont Saint-Jean is now, is now a brewery and we can't wait to get back there, obviously. But we were doing, we were in the orchard just outside the farm, at the rear of the farm. And um, Mick Crumplin reckons that at least 500 plus limbs were sawn off by the field surgeons in, the, in, that, in those very buildings. And we were... We, we were doing a metal detector survey. We were doing some limited excavation and we came across um, human bones. Oh. And after, after some painstaking, incredibly careful excavation, we uncovered by the end of the 2019 season, we uncovered three amputated legs Jeez. represented wow. by the, bone, the bones of the legs. 
And we think what has happened is um, these these were I've collected some amazing descriptions of of the farm in use as a field hospital, mounds of limbs in the courtyard. We think what we've got is the backfill ditch of the lane that ran up behind the behind the farm. Not long after the battle, these this stuff was removed from the from the yard as things were cleared up. These bones were dumped into this ditch, and over time, it's back, it's filled up. Um, we think it's a ditch. The soil differences are very different, difficult to see, but just a few meters up, it looks like we've got a good part of a horse in this same this same. It could go on for for quite a distance along this lane. There's still a lane there, but it's slightly further away. And so we 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 got our our. Our Belgian colleagues in their labs were, were examining um, these bones. It was only then we realized once they'd been lifted, um, one, of the, the, one of the legs had a, a French musket shot in it. Um, and it, we've, we've, we're doing close analysis, three, 3D recording of laser scanning of, of, of these limbs. And on the same site, we've got modern veterans who have lost one or two legs through explosive devices in Afghanistan mm -hmm. and you might think well that's going to that's going to cause them a lot but we've, we've got this huge backup we've got a huge mental health support um, some of the leading experts in the country on that and it and so if anybody has trouble they've got the help but the thing was it had a positive it, it had a positive impact because they were looking at these bones and think the, the 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 realistic reaction was if I'd have been around in 1815 and lost, lost my leg and had it cut off there's every chance I would have died yeah. Now, I, now here I am, a healthy individual, um, part of this team, you know, having having a wonderful time learning about the past. And it, it, it was counterintuitive almost. Yeah, I, I will. I will just close that with a story about that. I noticed there was a little piece of uh, brass just just next to these legs and been obviously thrown into into the same ditch. Once it was excavated, I, I, I re recorded it photographically and I hadn't seen anything like it come up from any of the other surveys. And I looked at it and it, it's the top of a scabbard. And I thought, thought at first a sword, but it's not. It's, it's got that, that, you know, that, that pen um, hook on it. Yeah. It's from a sword scabbard, a, a sword bayonet. And I'm pretty sure it's probably 95th. Now, when you think... It's we mine. are directly <laughs> behind the sand pit. We are 400 yeah. meters away from the sand pit and the main 95th position. Mm -hmm. So we've got three legs and what I'm pretty sure is, you know, I'm no expert on that form of kit or the 95th. Well, that that absolutely but, follows because King K does, does a classic. And if you, if anybody wants to read history from the view of an offer, British army officer, couldn't it be more British or more English? It's hilarious. King K was absolutely hilarious. Um, and he talks about that. And don't forget, these are soldiers, a lot of them who are, have been in the 90s in a long time. They don't need orders. They are highly professional snipers. They don't need to, to, to wait for some Rupert on a horse to give them the order to retire when they see the French coming at them. So he gives he, he goes, right. We're going to retire. He turns around. They've already gone. <laughs> he was the only man left standing, and he has to scamper after his men because they 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 don't need. They were a modern fighting man, and so yeah. to find that that far, they did go a long way back. And don't I don't bloody blame them either. Yeah. Well, we we've got we in, in that same orchard. We pulled out a six pounder um, round shot cannonball, mm. and 
it, it's it's far too far 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 to the rear to be from the the Grand Battery, you know, a good distance away yeah. down down in the valley. Um, I think it's from once La Haye-Son fell late in the day and the, the, the 95th scarped out of the sandpit, um, they brought up a battery of uh, guard horse artillery um, and put them on a ridge that you can still see. We've worked out where this position yeah, yeah. is and, and then started to fire almost at point blank range into the square. This is where they hit the inner skillings. And basically, you know, the, the, the story that the inner skillings basically died in square. And that's where that kind of, but we think the, the six pounder we've got from the orchard is an overshoot from that engagement. But so that cannon shot represents the point at which Napoleon probably came closest to winning the Battle of Waterloo. And that when, when you hold that object after a, mm. after a detectorist has found it and the team, you know, including the veterans, has carefully excavated it, pulled it out of the ground, you take it into our on site lab in the brewery. And, and, you know, clean it up and hold it. And you just think, good God, you know, mm. this is more than history. The thing is, if, if Waterloo was in the UK, it would have light industrial units on it now and a railway running through it. But because of the conservation laws in Wallonia, that, are, that you know, that as far as heritage is concerned, they can do that. It's much more difficult. I've been involved in, in the attempts to, to conserve battlefields in Britain, and it's not easy. Um, you know, there, there, there needs to be a real will. They're difficult sites. You know, they're, they're, they're big big bits of real estate how how do yeah. you you know you can't preserve things in aspect but you know waterloo is a great example of a very well preserved battlefield charlie i mean what is it about scotsmen they're they're not just they're just going in the fight they they tend to be a more thinking man's fighter and i know i know in in uh during the gulf war I believe it's the Scots who did one of the few bayonet charges, uh, actually, in uh, when they're under attack. I think I think the Scots have always had to survive, and I think if you're thrown into the battle, I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm, I'm ex-merchant navy. I'm not. Um, I didn't, you know, serve under Her Majesty, but I, I just think that you know Scots are loyal people, and given a task together as a community you know a lot of regiments were communities as well weren't they so you were you were fighting next to your neighbor or you know you could even be in the same regiment as your cousins so that I, I, from what i get from it and the stories i've been told and heard they were the best guys for the job you, you, they were loyal and you could be depended upon and they would get sent in to do a job they would do it there is the other angle you know people saying the scots were Many are in cannon fodder, and that may have been the case, but so were so was the you know any man in the British Army. The the, the style and the way battles were fought. Go back, go way way back in, in Scots time. You know they were more of a, a guerrilla fighter. They never they never fought out on the open field. You know, and I suppose one of their earliest defeats was the Battle of Mons Gropius. Right. So we must all get together. But Charlie, and, first off, you and I need to talk about the trench too. This time it's personal. Um, and you guys, yeah. I mean, I'll happily come back and talk again. But yes. I, I, we're I, going to have you back, Tony. Get more brilliant. people back. We've got so much to talk about. Again, this is about Burns Night. Slange bar, slange guys. Slange, slange. I'm off for my haggis. Take care. Cheers, Tony. Thank you very yeah, much. All the best, guys. Bye bye. Yeah. So, okay. Thanks again. Speak soon, guys. Speak soon. Thank you. Happy Burns Night, and to everybody who's going to be listening to this podcast. 
uh happy birds night i hope uh especially this year it's uh, a lot easier and i think it needs to be a little bit more scottish <laughs>